Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to The Great Indoors, the podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And today we have a fabulous interview all about decorating rental properties. We'll also be looking at all things eco-paint and the star surgery. We'll be looking up and contemplating the unbearable blandness of a kitchen ceiling. But first, I was thrilled to interview Amara Hashem, who shares her rental hacks over on her Instagram account at The Pajama Hub. Now, Kate and I have been completely <laughs> transfixed by Amara's account. We are mega, mega fans because considering she rents, her interior reveals are so bold and fabulous and there's not a magnolia wall left damaged. It's quite the inspiration. And even if you aren't a renter, quite frankly, stay tuned for some interior design inspiration. Amara, so lovely to see you. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. And we're, we're doing this interview remotely, but I'm already seeing in the background your wonderful warm mural. <laughs> You're sitting on a bright canary yellow armchair. So Amara, obviously loads of people rent for lots of different reasons, but tell me a little bit about how come you've become a serial renter. So due to the nature of Mr's job of being a pilot, we were always on the move. So I became quite seasoned at personalizing temporary accommodations while respecting the rental limitations from very early on. And I want to replicate that feeling of home wherever we are, even if we are renting, it doesn't matter. I say even if it's a borrowed home, it doesn't mean that you can't personalize it. You have to respect the limitations it comes with, but it does not mean that you just simply have to live in a magnolia box. I mean, I suppose, first of all, different landlords have different rules and regulations. Mm -hmm. How do you, first of all, approach that conversation with them on what you can and can't do to make the house more of a home for you? Yeah, I think it's really important for the landlord to know that you will respect the property. You will take care of it like your own home. And we are very lucky that we have a very nice relationship with our landlord. We have been in this property for, I think, now about more than 10 years. And I think over the years, got to know each other. We got to be at a frequency that he understood what we want. And he got to see us, meet us, and got to see that we take care of the property. 
So that's sort of like, I suppose that's your biggest tip, isn't it? Get your landlord on board. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and then I want to get I want to get stuck into some of the more creative elements of your home. Okay, let's take the wallpaper one to start with, because I think that is something that renters really feel that they can't do. They might talk their landlord into letting them paint some colour on the walls. But how, Amara, do you add all your murals and your wallpaper to your home? Basically, I have added, I have used actually 12 different hacks in the house. All of them are damage-free. They are reversible. Even if I want to remove them today, I can peel them off easily. So with the wallpaper, I use a self-adhesive clear vinyl. Yeah. Which is, you know, the basic... uh, Sticky back plastic. Yeah, it's sticky (laughs) back plastic. It's easily available on eBay and Amazon. I put it on the wall and then I put the wallpaper paste on top of the sticky back plastic and then my wallpaper. So what it does is it ah. it transforms any wallpaper into peel and stick wallpaper. Yes. And in this way, yes. like, you know, there are many peel and stick wallpapers available now in the market, but still the patterns are quite limited. But with this hack, I can customize any wallpaper I like into peel and stick wallpaper. It can be any brand, any color, any pattern. I don't have to be limited with this. You're a bit of a fan of a colored sticky tape as well? Yeah, washi tape. Washi tape. I've used washi tape in my daughter's room. It's an eBay purchase. It was a golden washi tape and I made a geometric pattern on the wall. Also, uh, when I was not very daring, very bold in my choices, I also used those sticky decals from eBay again. They were triangular and I put them on the bathroom wall. But now I've become more a bit more confident in my choices, in my style. So I have done more daring changes in the house, including wallpaper and wall murals. So a lot of people who rent hate their bathroom tiles or indeed I want to open this wider to people who are on a budget decorating and and to knock off all your old tiles and replace them super expensive messy time consuming all of that you know this sticky back plastic blackboard cover you get from eBay again and Amazon I went ahead and put it on the tiles in my bathroom And uh, I I think the whole wall costed me about £30. And then I painted my own mural on it with acrylic paints and nothing on top. And I must say that with three children, all the vandalism, all the baths, all the steam, (laughs) it has stayed there for about um, three, four years now. 30 quid. That is brilliant. I love it. But again, it's going this extra mile to really personalise your space because I know the mural that you created in your bathroom is like your own design, isn't it? It is inspired by an image I saw on Pinterest, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was by a graffiti artist, Retna. And then I added my own bits to it. There are initials of my children in another language. You know, the thing is that I want my home to be a fusion of my personality, beliefs, our jokes, our family jokes. You know, there are things (laughs) in the house which are very personal to us. I'm a I call myself a considered maximalist. I love eclectic style and color, but I don't want it to be just another maximalist home. I want every piece to mean something to me, to us as a family. An image on my uh, gallery wall, which is written in my, my language, Urdu, which says puppet show. And, you know, it's a really funny thing because people who can relate to it 
my kids like, you're running a puppet show in the living room. So I call it that. <laughs> then there is another print which says Grace of an Elephant, which is from my personal shop, the Fav store. And it's like, you know, I'm always bumping into people when I'm walking, always making silly mistakes while sending texts and stuff like that. So my kids always laugh at me that, mom, you have a Grace of an Elephant. And then we made it into a print. <laughs> so there is a lot of personal elements in our style, in my style. The artwork's a brilliant place to express that, isn't it? And you've got a couple of gallery walls in your home. Now, I would say gallery walls, hanging art and lots and lots of pictures in a rented property is quite a headache. So how do you get around that? You know, I use lightweight frames with plastic front. Oh, rather than glass, you use like acrylic? Yeah, acrylic, yeah. Okay. So it becomes easier to hang them. You don't need to drill too many holes or, or you can actually get away without drilling any holes because uh, there is a stick-on hook, which is from available from Ikea. It's called Plute hooks. You just stick them on if command strips are not your thing. But sometimes people complain that command strips don't work or uh, sticky black hooks don't work. The thing is, if you replace the glass with plastic, it becomes quite easier for them to hold the weight. Sometimes it can depend on, the, on how well decorated the wall is. If it's got like peely bad paint, yeah. the hooks don't hang so well. So it's always worth, isn't it, just checking on the condition of your walls. Yeah, and also following the instructions mentioned on command strips because mm. they, they mentioned to clean the walls before and all of that thing for it to work the best way possible. So I saw somewhere on your Instagram feed something about a duvet cover wall mural. Do you want to talk me through that? Because <laughs> again, that again is something in my 25 years of interior design. I've never heard of a duvet cover being used as a wall mural. So uh, <laughs> that is one of my favorite hacks, to be honest with you, because this mural is actually a duvet from H&M Home. What I did was I opened the seams and I first I put the vinyl on the wall and then put the duvet cover on it. So just to go through the steps, you're covering the painted wall in your sticky back plastic to protect it. Then you're pasting the, well, it's now a sheet of fabric, isn't it? It's no longer a duvet cover. Ah. It's now a sheet of printed fabric. You're pasting that onto the vinyl. Is that correct? Yes. And what glue are you using for that? I use wallpaper paste on this one. Wallpaper paste. So I suppose you're really soaking the fabric in the paste. Yes. It's been there for ages. And it's my son's room, so you can imagine. I mean, <laughs> I was worried that it will peel off, but no, it didn't. You're just not limited by any kind of like <laughs> tried and tested rules. That's what I like. <laughs> I've got a real sense of you You just kind of have a go yeah. and see if it's going to work. And like you say, because it costs you twenty four ninety nine, maybe you're. it's not like you've just bought £200 worth of wallpaper. Is there an element of just like, I'm just going to see if this works? There is a bit of fearlessness there for sure. Because, you know, I just think what can happen, it will just not work. That's just it. And just in case I end up spoiling the wall, I'll just paint over it. So I think it's always good to try the ideas and see if they work. If they work, that's good. That gives you confidence to try the next one. One other thing I want to talk to you about, because again, I've got a feeling I've never seen this either. <laughs> it's your giant oversized headboard. I think this is a bit more of a recent project. You know, if anybody's seen my Instagram feed, I am a big fan of an oversized headboard. You know, this is something that's probably almost reaching to the ceiling, the full width of the bed, but they cost quite a lot of money to have made to measure in terms of fabric and foam and upholstery. So how did you get around this problem? 
So this is uh, the credit goes to Man with Hammer on Instagram, who actually made. Oh, Man with a Hammer, lovely yeah. Greg. Yes, so, he's got a few oversized headboards in his house. Yes, hasn't he? I'm always swimming over his feet, and I saw him make this headboard, but he made it really big. I tweaked his idea a little bit, and I actually wanted to show renters if they can't put wallpaper on the walls, like literally, they don't want to go ahead with the vinyl idea even, then use a piece of furniture and cover it in uh, wallpaper and bigger the better and that's how the headboard came so it's a bit of a cheat isn't it so it looks like a fabric covered headboard but actually you've cut a headboard shape out of mdf and then wallpapered it in a pattern and that's the way of getting the wallpaper pattern in the room without having to stick it on the walls. Yes, and it's a textured wallpaper, so it doesn't feel uncomfortable too. It's quite a thick wallpaper. And then I went ahead and I used masking tape and I painted my own design on it too. Oh yes, I love this one. This is brilliant. So this is masking tape stripes, vertical stripes, isn't it, of masking tape from the ceiling down to the floor. And then I just used the, you know, tester pots. I have so many of them. I wanted to use them somehow. <laughs> and uh, again, I wanted to keep it as removable and reversible as possible. So that's how the masking tape is quite similar to the color of the magnolia walls. Not 100% color match, obviously, because it's masking tape. But still, it looks quite similar. And when it's colored, it blends in really well. So you can actually paint any design on it. I actually did the same idea in my workspace. They're, they're horizontal though, aren't they? Yeah, they're horizontal. And I just used a kitchen sponge, cut it in one inch and I just dipped it in a tester pot and swiped it gently. And I ended up with a backdrop. So this is an idea really of creating your own patterned wallpaper effect, or it would be like going back to sort of stenciling or hand painting walls, but you're using the stripes of the masking tape so you're not painting directly onto your rented wall. Yeah. But the effect is absolutely brilliant. I love it. So really headline here I'm getting a sticky black plastic sticky I can't say sticky back plastic is your best friend in terms of creating your own peelable wallpapers. Washi tape, masking tape, anything sticky that you can remove again is allowing you to create designs and paint effects on walls and then also those sticky hooks that we talked about for like gallery walls so really it's all about the sticky stuff isn't it yeah and <laughs> stick on cork tiles I, I also use stick on cork tiles which are similar to the cork board but they have glue behind them already. And the glue is good one because uh, in the sense that you don't need to put anything on the wall to protect it. You can just put your uh, cork tiles on the wall. Yeah, anyone who wants to add the biophilic design can do that. It's, it's a very uh, effective way to do it. And also the good thing is that if you want to remove it, you just need to blow dry, use a blow dryer and the glue will soften and come off easily. So Amara, I mean, I absolutely challenge anybody listening not to feel inspired by you. But if there is anybody out there who is in a rental, who is feeling like they don't know where to start when it comes to putting their own personality, what are your headline tips? I would say just choose a wall. Don't do the whole room. Choose a space, a small space. Make the changes you want to make and then build on from there. And, you know, when you start to make these tiny changes, it gives you confidence to make the next change. And before you know it, you'll be making highly imaginative bespoke interiors. And follow you on Instagram would be my biggest tip because every day <laughs> there's something new that you're up to. Amara, thank you so much. It's been an absolute 
delight to talk to you. And uh, yeah, keep us updated, won't you? Don't stop. Don't stop being a serial decorator anytime soon. Thank you so much for having me. I had a lovely time. Thank you so much, Amara, for that interview. And don't forget to give her a follow over on Instagram where she's at Pajama Hub. I'm going to spell that for you because it's P-A-J-A-A-M-A-H-U-B. And also, if you're inspired to create your own gallery wall, do check out Amara's online print shop, The Faf, and that's Faf with a double F, store.com. And of course, it'd be rude not to follow us while you're at it. I'm Sophie Robinson Interiors, and she's mad about the house. So that brings us on to quite a meaty topic now. We go, we're deep diving, we're deep diving. We are. Into paint, which one would think was such a straightforward thing. You buy a tin, you dip your brush in it, you roll it on your walls, happy days. But I think in this ever-changing world, we're all beginning to question the sorts of things that we bring into our home and the environmental impact of which paint has its part That's to a play. Problem. And I tell you, we're getting a few press releases, aren't we, coming into our inbox, both you and I, from different brands claiming to be eco-friendly, saving the planet... And I've gone, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. Okay, so, yeah, I can just buy that paint then and have a completely guilt-free feeling about it. Oh, it's water-based. Oh, it's uh, VO, low VOC. Oh, it gets sent to me in a cardboard recyclable box. Brilliant. But is that enough? And that's what we're basically going to... Because maybe, listeners, you think the same as me. Job done. But we're going to question whether that... Are we doing enough? And are the paint brands doing enough? And we're going to have a look at what some of the paint brands are doing. Because as I've found so often when I do my Do Less Harm directory... No one's got it all right all the time. It's impossible to get it all right as where we stand at the moment. So you have to make a choice. So, you know, you might make a choice about where a product is made and be less worried about what it's made from, but you're saving on the air miles. Or you might be really worried about what goes into it and less about how it's transported. So you do have to kind of make your own decisions and do your own due diligence. But we are going to have a look at some of the problems and tell you what some of the brands are doing and you can make your own choices from there. And just for a bit of clarity, because you're right, I mean, it's a hornet's nest. Yeah. And what is frustrating is there's no real industry standards as yet to keep everybody in line. So all the different brands are doing different things. So what Kate and I are going to try and do is unpick what's going on here so you can make more informed choices. I think for this particular topic, we're just going to talk about the stuff in a tin, the paint. Because when I look at all these websites, all these different paint brands, they're as Kate says, they're doing all different things around carbon footprint and factory processing and delivering. I don't think we should get into that. We're just going to talk about the tin, the paint and how you apply it and how we can make if we make a little difference, actually, it will have a huge impact because Q Stat Queen, with her own little jingle, how much paint, for example, are we wasting every year? You've got some stats on that. I have got some stats on that. And basically, the problem with tins, only one third of recycling centres around the UK accept paint tins. And just to add a bracket in there, I know we have an international audience and we love you we don't know what your statistics are, but you might have to look into that in America, in Australia. But so in the UK, a third of recycling centres accept the paint tins. 55 million litres of paint waste goes to landfill every year. In the UK? Yeah. That's shocking, isn't it? 98% of tins end up either in landfill 
or incinerated. And that's a figure from the British Coatings Federation report from 2015. So that's the kind of latest figures I've been able to get hold of. And the other shocking thing, and I'm guilty of this, and I bet you are too, 50 million tins are currently stockpiled in people's homes and sheds according to an article earlier this year. And I'm guilty of stockpiling it mm. because I don't know how to get rid of it because this is the other problem. And also, just a quick interject because we just had this. My mum was having the decorator run to touch up where there'd been some water damage and the decorator was like, these tins, you know, because we decorated her house five years ago. He's like, mm. oh, this paint's gone off. So there's no point keeping it after a year anyway because it won't colour match anymore. And I have got some tips on that. But Ooh, one okay. of the first things we come to on the tins is that a lot of paint companies now shout about the fact that their tins are recyclable, but you've got to get rid of the paint and you can't wash the paint down the sink. And there, I've looked into this, the local guidelines are different across the whole country about what you do with paint waste. So mm. it's fine to have a recyclable tin, but what are you going to do, do with, the paint, inside with the paint that's in the tin? So this is a real problem. So I think, first of all, one thing that this is telling me is don't over order your paint. <laughs> we just yeah. need to order less of the stuff. Just don't order too much, which I think comes back to you, you know, testing properly, get those tester pots or, you know, sample the paint first. So you'll make the right choice and you're not having to like redecorate. The second thing that has come up for me that I hadn't realised is if you buy a good quality scrubbable paint, you have to redecorate less often. So again, you're using less paint. Yeah. You know, if the paint that you've um, applied on the walls in a couple of years, it's peeling or it's faded or, you know, those chalky paints get all the fingerprints on and you have to redo it. That's a stat. Interestingly, I asked Farrah and Bull for their comment on what they are doing regarding this whole topic of sustainability. And they recognise that a key factor to reducing the impact of decorating projects is the longevity of the paint finish. Now, they claim their modern emulsion recently won a witch Best Buy for washable paint, and it achieves the best possible scrub rating result. This means it can be cleaned regularly, stand the rest of time so you're less likely to have to put a second coat on years down the line. So that's something to think about. And another thing on the topic of ordering the right amount of paint, I mean, if you're using a professional decorator, they're brilliant because they can always, honestly, they work it out to the last teaspoon of paint. They're brilliant. But if you're a DIYer, a lot of websites, for example, I know Farron Ball do this. I think brewers have it on their site. They have paint calculators. So you can input the size of your walls and the brand of paint that you're going to use and they'll let you know how many tins you need to buy. That's a really good idea because obviously if we're using wallpaper, we know we've got to know how much wall to cover. But mm. with paint, we tend to go, oh, five litres will be certain yes. or oh it's a small bit only need two and a half and you obviously end up with loads and as you say it doesn't keep mm, it's no use the other thing while we're talking about paint wastage is the interesting thing about tester pots which I've never really thought about because they're only tiny little things right aren't they but having said that I've uh, I've accumulated quite a fair yeah. few tester pots over the years and they of course come in a tin and it's wasted paint and you extrapolate that across the country and that could end up to your millions of tons of paint that you're talking about that get wasted every year. So there are companies that are trying to take that on for example uh coat paints now only supply pre-printed swatches like a big swatch so you don't even have to order it in a paint and they claim They've done that for sustainable reasons to cut down on paint waste. So we might see more brands tackling that problem that way. Seems like a good idea. And 
I'm just going to bring in here, we're going to t come to what some of the paint companies are doing about it later on. But for a small company, Little Green, for example, they might do 300 deliveries a day. They make their paint to order, which on the face of it, you think, fantastic. They're not stocking shelves full of, of loads of paint. So of their 300 deliveries a day, they say that one to two percent might come back. And this is because someone's ordered the paint and then when it turns up, the person who's ordered it has apparently changed their minds <laughs> and they just really refuse delivery. So the delivery people have to take it back to the warehouse in Little Green's case in Manchester, where they've then got to find a way of storing it and hoping that someone is going to order the same finish in the same colour in a short period of time because it's a small company and they haven't got the space. So that ends up in waste. They also say... That's quite interesting though, I think, because we're really in this culture of like ordering stuff, changing our minds, send it back. We don't really think about it. And I, th I think it would be fair to assume that somebody would think, oh, they'll just sell it to someone else. Else, no problem but because it's a made to order product they can't yeah. put it back on the shelf and sell it to somebody else because you've got to wait for someone to buy that exact color from their yeah. 300 available colors in that size tin in that particular paint finish Probably and it's not a real happen. problem and the other thing and I was staggered when they told me this David Mottershead the CEO of Little Green said that people send back their paint because the tin is dented oh I mean, I found that extraordinary. I mean, not least because when I've got the paint, I want to get it on the wall. I don't want to be sending it back because it's dented and then waiting for the new supply. And the problem is, you know, people say and people have said to me, oh, well, you know, you must talk about community repaint. Of course. But just on that dented, oh, you're oh there's so much Sorry. to talk about, isn't it? You're racing yeah. through. But again, I think I can understand why people do that because they're like, I've paid a lot of money for yeah. designer paint. Yeah. And I want it to be the best it can be. And it's been dented. I think what we're saying is a dented tin is not going to affect the paint, paint product. It's not inside. like a washing machine yeah. or something yeah. where you worry whether it's going to work or not. So maybe think about that, that actually you're just causing unnecessary waste. Just suck up the dented tin and well, get it and, on your and walls. And not least the traffic of the truck that's got to drive all the way back up to the warehouse. So there's there's all sorts of implications. Mm. And so Little Green say that they have 60,000 litres a year which gets wasted. And they said it goes into landfill or it gets incinerated because there's nothing else they can do with it. That's for a small company. And we'll obviously come on to what they're doing later. But you think about the other companies that are much bigger and having the same mm. problems and that amount of wasted paint. And Little Green were very clear that you can take it to the tip, but they can't necessarily get rid of it. They might collect it all in one place. They might give some of it to these community repaint schemes, but that's the odd half tin. It's not thousands of litres so it gets gathered in one place and goes in one big incinerator as opposed to lots of small ones so I mean it's a real, real I think issue. well I think it's interesting point you raise actually because I've always typically taken my empty paint tins to my local recycling they've got they've got like a designated place for paint tins and I've always thought oh happy days and they know how to recycle it but they're not recycling it like you say it's it's impossible to recycle it so thinking about things like communityrepaint.org.uk forward slash need paint forward slash find your nearest scheme. You can find your local scheme. You can take the paint there and they'll redistribute it for community projects. Or, do you know what? Stick it on Facebook Marketplace. Stick it on Gumtree. I do that all the time. There might be somebody just down the road who's looking for 
some leftover canary yellow to paint their windowsills <laughs> with. with. The caveat, Who knows? <laughs> with the caveat, certainly for community repaint, you know, the paint's got to be usable. You mm. can't just go into, your, you know, the cupboard under your stairs and pick out that old can of paint no. you've had there for three years because the paint deteriorates. It might have rust in it. It's got old brushes in it. You know, it's not reusable. And actually what Little Green said to me was, if you've used a strong colour, rather than keeping it in the tin where it will deteriorate, decant a jam jar's worth Mm -hmm. and keep that. So you're keeping it safe in a glass jar with a lid. You can use that for touch-ups and it will keep much better in an an old jam jar and then dispose of your paint tins community-wise while it's still fresh or to your local tip. And they can actually use it. And then another top tip is store that jam jar upside down because it seals the air from the top and you don't get that dry paint ring that means you can't get the lid off. That's a really good little decorator's tip. tip. Yes, there we go. (laughs) Oh, we're full of the tips today. (laughs) Tippity top tips. So that tackles the issue of just the volume of paint waste. And if we all do our little bit, don't order too much, buy a good scrubbable product so you're not having to redecorate. Do the work with the tester pots or the tester swatches, preferably, so you're ordering the right colour. Don't send back the dented tin. Mm. Happy days. Now, what about what is in the paint because that is a minefield and I found this quite interesting because rather than going to brands and asking them what they were doing I thought okay as a consumer how do I find out what's in the paint that I'm putting on my walls oh they do not want you to know (laughs) (laughs) it is very hard to find out everybody everybody is low VOC water-based which are the volatile organic compounds and they stick an eco-friendly banner on that and what I've realized is I thought oh well that's that's an eco-friendly paint then but uh, it would appear that there can be so much more that can be done now should we just talk about what VOC is so people actually know what it is because I didn't even know what that meant and I've got it on a thing here here we go So VOCs are volatile organic compounds. Already that doesn't sound very nice, is it? But apparently when you're cooking your bacon and eggs, that releases VOC. So we can all chill out. Like this isn't just some like, you know, low VOCs are everywhere. Right. And they're in the paint. So it means that if you're buying water-based paint, which quite frankly, most DIY interior design products are now, I can't remember the last time I ever specified a solvent-based Which would paint. be a gloss paint, for example. Yeah, you know those typical, the typical oil-based paints that you needed white spirits to clean your brushes, yeah. more solvent, more yeah. VOCs, even in the cleaning products. They absolutely stink. They take ages to dry. And you don't really need them anymore. Paint technologies really come yeah. on. These water-based products now claim to be just as... Du- they were solvent-based because they were more durable. But water-based technologies come on so that your acrylic eggshells are just as durable as any yeah. oil-based one. So I don't really ever see the reason to buy a solvent-based paint for your walls and skirts. I mean, maybe you might have a hammerite type product for a radiator or something that's going to rust or something outside. But I think most people, masonry paint, woodwork, walls, it's all water-based anyway. So there's part of me that thinks, okay, you lot with your eco-friendly paints, it's just paint, it's got water (laughs) in it, and it's got a bit of VOC, but not very much. And when I look across all the brands... We're talking about sort of between 0.2% and 0.3% VOC. That's what low is. And I couldn't see that anybody was really bumping up above that. So you sort of Dulux brands, Valspar. I looked at uh, Good Home Paint, which is B&Q's in-house. Yeah. 
that's what they say, standard. But there's no other mention of sustainability with those brands on their website. They don't talk about anything else. And then it's the more boutique paint brands. Your Farron Balls, Lick, Coat, Little Green, that then start talking about being more sustainable. Well, and you talk, I know you've spoken to Edward Bulmer, haven't you? And mm. I remember talking to Edward Bulmer years ago and he said... Who's an interior designer who has a paint range called Edward Bulmer Paints. And he sort of made a joke to me that you could drink his paint. And <laughs> this is not recommended. But the point being that he is using products probably that you can pronounce. That used to be the thing with food, doesn't it? If you can't pronounce the ingredients, you don't want to be eating it. Um, <laughs> And his, so his paint, you've spoken to him. Well, about. I used an Edward Bulmer paint on my bedroom recently. And that's what sort of piqued my interest because when I bought it, that it came with all this information and it's got a really good website. And Edward is a passionate environmentalist. So he's really done his homework. So whereas, for example, the big paint brands, I couldn't really find anything of any worth or information. Edward Bulmer's website deep dives into this. But the headline he's got to say is he thinks we should know what's in our paint. He publishes a list of all the ingredients that go in his paint. They're natural paints. But without getting too technical, there's kind of fundamental differences between natural paint and modern acrylic paint. So a natural paint, they've all got water. It's the binders and the colorants that are different. So the binder in a modern acrylic paint is basically plastic. Yeah. Uh, and it comes in lots of different guises, but it's essentially coming from the fossil fuel industry. And we all know that that's when, you know, crude oil and blah, 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 that's kind of where the you acrylic... Presumably, you just can't avoid that, can you, if you want paint? Well, that seems to be what everybody's got. Yeah. So he says most paint is made from plastic and most plastic is from fossil fuels. So no natural paints is just using natural earth and mineral pigments in paint. It does mean, interestingly, though, that it can mix much less colours... So, you know, like Dulux has got like 3,000 colours because it's essentially, they use azo, dye, azo dyes. So it's just got endless colourants that they can use. He says his paint range is quite limited because he only uses natural pigments. Uh, so that, you know, I suppose that's the limitation. But I think what's really interesting is while lots of brands are like front of house on their homepage, calling themselves eco-friendly paint, Edward Bulmer is actually one of the few paint brands I found, which is actually natural and not putting plastic in the paint. And there's another one which I've spoken to, which is Graffenstone. Graffenstone is another company that has actually no oil, no plastic, no microbeads, no formaldehyde or chemical preservatives. And they have, they say, trace VOCs only. So that's less than 0.1%. And their paint, their kind of ideal with their paint is that it has graphene in it, hence the name Graffenstone, which was a sort of Nobel Prize winning discovery. It's carbon, which is the third most prevalent material on earth. I'm reading that. And it adds strength to your natural minerals. So the paint lasts for longer. And it's certified by the most recognised harm-free product evaluators in the world, gold certification. And interestingly, they say their paint purifies the air as well. So as it dries it purifies the air because it will absorb CO2 from the air. So wow, what, like a tree? Like a tree. It is, like, <laughs> yes, it is like a tree. And I think they've got statistics on their website showing pictures of trees. So the stat is 
it will absorb around five kilograms of CO2 per 15 litres from the local environment where it's applied. That's amazing. So that's amazing. They've got 96 house colours, but more than a thousand in total. And they also do colour matching. So that's, that's, a, that's a good sort of really eco paint to start with. And they also only do a flat matte finish. They don't do shiny gloss finishes because they say you have to add things to them that then to make them shiny and glossy and it compromises. So that's a very super eco paint with lots of colours. And but it's one that flies under the radar because you don't sort of think of it with all the you know, sophisticated marketing and, and mm, fancy tins well, and things. But I mean, that's what I feel, I, that's what I sense is happening a little bit. I wonder if there's, I mean, you know, greenwashing is a thing. I mean, th that's been talked about a lot, not just in the paint industry, of course not, but across every consumable, that because we are all more aware of the environment, that it can become a marketing tool, can't it, to say that something's environmentally friendly. And what sort of Edward Bulmer, I think he might be having a bit of a rant, but he was like, you know, paint, it is water-based. It does have less VOC. That is not a reason to say that it's environmentally friendly. What I've realised from doing this bit of research is it's so much more a complicated issue. I'm kind of a bit irritated that it's quite hard and confusing and you have to kind of pick through and I'm not saying any of these paint brands are making false claims but I don't think either that they're being completely transparent on what is in their product and the environmental impact of it I mean on coat paint who talk a lot about sustainability they've got a 37 page pdf on their website you've got to do your research haven't you I'm sorry, coat paints. You know, I love everything you're trying to do, but don't make me read a 37-page PDF on the environment. I just want the headlines. Like, I'm busy. I just want to order my paint. And it's a bit like on the on the mainstream websites, like the Dulux and stuff. They don't talk about it. There is nothing about sustainability. There's nothing about environment on any of the big paint brand websites. They just don't seem to be talking about it. And if they are, they've hidden it because I couldn't find it. <laughs> so it's like either nobody's talking about it at all, or I'm being completely brain dumped by an overload of information. And I almost wonder whether we just need some kind of body to come in and say, this is what we're doing. This is yeah, what yeah. we're doing. And this is why. And then the consumer can make their choice and not have to, you can tell I'm feeling a bit weary. You're feeling a bit weary. I'm going to bring you back to something which might make you feel positive. Okay. Which is the little green first attempt to deal with these waste paints. And obviously, because of the issues of paint deteriorating, they are talking about waste of unopened tins. So the ones that are sent back, the ones that are refused, that would otherwise go to waste. So they've come up with a plan and they're very much saying these are first steps and we want everyone else to follow us, but they are using those paints. So they are launching at the end of April their remix. And this idea is that they take all the paint back and they remix them to new colours. Now, obviously, this has been done before, but we all know if you if you mix a whole load of paints together, you tend to get a sort of sludgy brown. Yes. And not everybody, well, present company accepted. I love a sludgy brown wall, <laughs> but I'm guessing, <laughs> sitting here in my not sludgy my brown room, yes, <laughs> most people don't want a sludgy brown. So they've spent a long time researching this, and David Mottishead is a chemist, and working out how to use these waste paints. And they initially started sorting them so that all the returned yellows, whatever 
shade of yellow it was, went on one shelf and all the reds and all the blues and all the greys. And they've then come up with this algorithm, which I'm not even going to attempt to understand, but it has allowed them to remix these paints that are brought back and recreate the original colours from their colour chart, which they are now able to sell at much cheaper prices. It's slightly shinier, but you can now buy, for example, little green juniper ash, which is a kind of deep blue colour, in the original little green version, or you can buy the remix version, which is made from a whole load of leftover paints, but is an exact colour match to the original. So it's, it's like a diffusion line, but it's from returned paint. And how much waste money paint. do you save on that? So this new line, the Remix, is £28 for two and a half litres, whereas the original colour is £52 <gasps> for 2.5 litres. Oh, that's a big so saving. It's a big saving. So you're getting this kind of designer paint colours, yeah. if you like, but made from At leftovers. Price. And that's their way of using up their waste paint. So they are launching and they've got 20 colours that they've pulled together from the waste they've had back. Mm -hmm. And what they're going to be doing in the future is probably announcing via social media, we will be releasing a whole load of remix in this colour because we had a whole load of these colours that came oh, back. Like special collection. It's a bit limited edition because it mm. very much depends on the colours that are returned to them as to the colours they can remake. So at the moment they've come up with, you know, a couple of blues, a couple of yellows, lots of neutrals as you might imagine. That might change. You might find in a year's time that there aren't really any blues in their remix collection because they haven't had any blues back. But there might be lots of yellow, and we've mm. spoken about I think how yellow be lots is of yellow. Be lots, lots of, of yellow. yellow. My tip yeah. is wait for the yellow. <laughs> so I thought that was a really interesting idea. It's taken two years for their chemists to make it work and find this algorithm of how they mix what they've got to come up with something original. Well, that's what we need. We need the big brains on this now, yeah. don't we? And I think you know there are there are people who are passionate about this. There's the small indie brands like you know Earthborn, Edward Bulmer, Graffenstone, who are cleverly coming up with natural alternatives. The bigger brands, as you say, coming up with great solutions to remix paint. I mean, that's genius. And then I suppose, I, I suppose maybe the reason why I feel a bit anxious about this is maybe do I feel a bit guilty? I've been encouraging people to slap paint on absolutely everything well, my I whole career do, yeah. and to just go, oh, it doesn't matter. It's only paint. If you don't like it, you can repaint it. Just be free. Just indulge in colour. And actually, I think that's time for a pause be a little bit more considered in our choices. And I suppose the takeaways for me are, first of all, test the paint, make sure you're making the right choice from the get-go so you don't have to reorder it in a different colour. Order the right amount so that it isn't wasted. Any paint left over, go and drop it off at one of these community centres or stick it on Gumtree so someone else can use it. Otherwise, look at a good recycling plant. And then last of all, Look at some of these pioneering companies who are putting better products in the actual paint itself. And actually, I'm going to finish on one other pioneering company to come back where we started with this problem of the tins, which, you know, are recycled if you can find a way to get rid of the stuff that's in them. And that's a new company that's just launched called Yes Colours. And they are putting their paint in 100% recyclable pouches. And you sort of think, why hasn't that been pouch. done before? So you buy it in a one-litre pouch and they've done like, that. Like your shampoo. 
like your shampoo. And I sort of said, oh, one litre, that, you know, that's ridiculous because you need more than that. But their whole point is we are selling it in one litre because you can be much more accurate about how much you need. So rather than buying a big five litre tin and only using three litres mm. and having two litres deteriorating in a big tin, you can buy it litre by litre. So if you need three litres... You can buy three litres. And so, so much easier to really roll up and get rid of your pouches rather than those big rusty cumbersome tins. Well, and this is it. So uh, they said the pouch is a single material. It's PE type four, but they're moving towards a sort of 30 to 40% recycled material next year. And obviously it varies as to where your local household will collect them. But they're planning to make, you know, to roll that out. Flexible packaging like this uses 16% less fossil fuel, 26% less water and generates 21% less greenhouse gas. Oh, she loves her stats. I do love her stats. Got any more stats? I've got, well, they're easy to open and close. <laughs> <laughs> Sales pitch over. So I said to, you know, yes, colours, well, all right, you found the holy grail. Why isn't everybody doing these yeah. recyclable pouches? And they said, well, basically it's about, you know, the existing infrastructure and the cost of switching over to that model. Oh, but again, they're a young paint they're, brand. they've started that way. So again, you know, the hope is that other people will move on to that. So I think my main takeaway, you've got a list of very organised takeaways. My main takeaway is, oh, it's all so complicated. <laughs> and I think it is. And I think we've only scratched the surface and we've tried to kind of signpost you some of the issues, some of the things that companies are trying to do and, you know, next steps. So do come and tell us on Instagram, on our Facebook group, what your experiences are, what your thoughts are about getting into paint. If you've got any other tips and tricks that you think people could benefit from knowing. And I will add some of these details to my Do Less Harm directory on the blog, madaboutthehouse.com. And Again, while this will give you some ideas, we can't promise to be definitive on it. Mm. So you've got to look into it and decide, as I say, what your priorities are and how you're going to decide what paint you're going to use. But I think it's really good that you've got that resource, Kate. I mean, we can definitely, from the bit of research we've both done, some of the more ethical brands that we've discovered, let's get them on there, get them on the blog. So if you want to make a more environmentally positive choice with your paint, that'd be the first place to look. Hi Sophie and Kate, it's Emily, I'm from Selby in North Yorkshire. I'm after some advice on painting ceilings. I've got an open plan kitchen diner, which is all white walls with a black skirting board. It's dark blue kitchen units and a white quartz worktop. So I want to inject a bit of fun, but without compromising on the light. Anything you can tell me, any advice, hugely welcomed. I love the podcast and yeah, thanks in advance. So, Emily, interesting question, because you did send us some pictures of your kitchen. And I've got to say, even with navy blue lower cupboards, it looks like a really light room already. So I appreciate you don't want to affect the light, but if you want to bring in some fun, that's probably going to involve some colour. I think this is so interesting. I hear this so many times, people wanting colour, wanting to go for it, wanting to make a bold statement and then getting a knee wobble over the light. It's a really interesting one. And this is not a dark room, like you say. In the pictures, you've got a roof light that's throwing tons of light and bouncing off those lovely white quartz worktops you talk about. There's big windows onto the garden. Uh, it is 
all white walls and all white ceiling, which I'm obviously taking issue with already. <laughs> but 10 out of 10 for going for a lovely, deep, dark navy kitchen. I think that's nice. And that should kind of be your jumping off point. So you're not clutching at random colours. I quite like the idea, if you want the white walls to go with the white worktop, of deciding that you will go with adding colour on the ceiling. Yes, how would you do that? Go well, on. It's it's an interesting, because if it's on the ceiling, you don't necessarily see it all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes if you have a strong colour on your units and you then put a strong colour on your walls, mm. that might be a bit much for some people. But if you're leaving the walls in the white or pale colour that you choose and going for the ceiling, it's something that, as you say, can bring in the fun because it's slightly unexpected, but it's not something that you're going to be staring at every time you walk well, into I the room. I just want to put a wallpaper or something on ceiling. Well, we're talking fun. I was going to say that. I mean, I've just a quick look at the pictures. I think kitchen ceilings can be complicated because if you've got wall cupboards or she's got a extractor fan, mm. you know, wallpapering, that's quite a big deal mm. around all and the sort of ceiling furniture. And stuff flying up into the ceiling in so the kitchen that, area. So maybe not so practical. I had wondered, I've got on my ceiling uh, part of my kitchen ceiling, which is quite low. So I haven't been able to add any excitement with pendant lights because, you know, the, the ceiling's not tall enough to take them. So one of the ways you could do this, I added tin tiles to my kitchen ceiling. And I did it because my kitchen extension is a very characterless modern box on the back of my Victorian house. And I wanted to kind of add almost like a vintagey period detail. So I thought tin tiles, that'll make it look a bit older, give it a bit of character. But actually what I didn't realise until I'd put them up there was the knock-on effect that they completely bounce the light back in mm. from the outside and they reflect. Sometimes they go kind of green because they're sort of grabbing the, the grass from outside and bouncing it back in. So that's a way adding a highly reflective surface would be the fun, maybe not necessarily the colour, Emily, but it would be something fun. And that absolutely won't affect your light. I mean, in some lights, my tin tiles almost look like glass. Mm, they're because they're so shiny, amazing. So it's such a triumph, your tin tiled ceiling. I absolutely love it. What I would say, though, is it, I think it works because it's a localised area over your dining table. I mean, looking at Emily's picture, she's got the big open plan kitchen yeah. dining sitting room. It's a vast space. And I'm wondering, are you falling into that trap, which every so many people have, have they've got an open plan kitchen living room? And so painting the walls is just like too overwhelming because it's just such a huge space. Yeah. So you've then gone to the next logical step of like, well, if I can't paint the walls, I'll paint the ceiling. And I'm sort of sitting here thinking, what are you actually requesting? You're actually just wanting to put some colour and personality into that space. You've bought your beautiful brand new trendy navy kitchen with its glossy white worktops but it's looking like anyone could live there it's lacking your personality and I'm wondering whether maybe this isn't maybe this isn't a place for paint this is a perfect follow-on isn't it from our last topic yeah. maybe you bring the fun and the color in other big impact ways a huge rug on the floor for example would be great in a bright color or a bold pattern maybe switch out the gray sofa for something bright and colorful maybe have a fabulous pendant light or floor lamp maybe get some big art on the walls I those white say, walls are looking very very hang empty. lots of pictures on the walls and bring mm. the color in that way or even i haven't looked at the rest of the room but you know blinds you might not want curtains in a kitchen but you can have patterned roller blinds now or mm. roman blinds that's a really good way to bring in 
in blocks of colour. I was going to say, just to bring it back to paint, there's this sort of very traditional notion that you must paint all four walls from floor to ceiling, corner to corner in the same colour. And you don't have to do that anymore. So, for example, you could paint the walls in the kitchen end whatever colour you want. And you could stop that wall colour where your units stop because that's a natural end. So even if the wall carries on, you can stop the colour there. And that helps zone an open plan space it's or tie two spaces idea, together, isn't it? So the colour blocking. Blocks of colour. So yeah. not, rather than feeling that the colour has to be taken into a corner, using crisp masking tape, yeah. my fave, you can create crisp lines of blocks of colour. And it, it, it might not just be one. It might be you have a block here in the kitchen. The living area is a different block. Behind the telly is another block. And sort of build a mural, a kind of colour block mural around the room. Oh, I'm loving the idea of that. And I it could then wrap up into the ceiling. Oh, my gosh. Now we're going into the fifth dimension. Well, this is what's fun, you know, to come back to paint, is that you can, as you say, block. But you don't. Obviously, Sophie's immediately thinking of all these bright, high-cast high contrast <laughs> colours for her different zones. I'm saying there's nothing wrong with doing exactly that. But if that's too much fun, too much colour, is that a thing? Then you can do it with tonal colours. So you mm. might, for example, keep your dark navy blue units in the kitchen and maybe you could paint your sitting room end in the dark navy, which might be cosy nice. if you're in there in the evening, but it links it to the kitchen with the dark same colour where you might be more in the daytime. So just, you don't have to go to the natural edge of the wall. You can pick a point and mask it off, as Sophie says, with tape and paint to there. That's where you've decided that sitting zone ends before it turns into a dining zone or a cooking zone. It's a really, it's a really good solution to the open plan problem of having huge walls, huge space, and not wanting to commit to one strong colour. So you can have your strong colour, but just in smaller blocks. And I think it can be a bit more individual and. Emily, fun. This is the key word. We're looking for fun. Aren't well, we, I did. Space? I was going to suggest, and then I looked again at the ceiling, and there might be too much furniture. But I was wondering whether you could just paint the ceiling with a kind of really wide blue and white stripe, Ooh. which might be quite fun. You'd have to decide again where in the room that ended. So you'd want to line it up with the end of the worktop or something. But you know, we'll I've got a feeling this. I, my my inclination is this ceiling's a red herring. I'm getting fear with the ceiling. Mm -hmm. like I don't dare put the colour on the walls because I'm worried about the light. So I'll just put it on the ceiling. I think no, Emily. I'm going to push you further. I think if you want fun, don't stop worrying about the light. You've got loads of the stuff. Yes. It's fine. Add the fun and the impact, and don't be afraid to to roll it on the walls, or indeed invest in colour in big blocks, big furniture pieces, big artwork big rugs there are other places to have color not just on your walls or <laughs> have it everywhere have a colorful sofa colorful walls colorful lamps colorful rug go the whole hog it's up to you i guess how much fun you want to have well thanks emily for that question i started off not knowing how to answer that and then kind of like even excelled myself i think that was absolutely brilliant so if you like <laughs> So if you'd like to stretch mine and Kate's design resources, we'd love to hear from you. Do send us a little voice note to thegreatindoorspod at gmail.com and uh, we might just be able to help you out. So head over to our blogs for more pictures and links. I'm madaboutthehouse.com and she's sophierobinson.co.uk. And that's all for this series, but we will be back in a few short weeks. Until then, 
Don't forget to follow the podcast everywhere you can so you never miss an episode and encourage all of your friends and family to do the same. And for now, thanks to our producer, Kate Taylor of Feast Collective and to Tom Brignall for mixing everything and making us sound passable. Well, me at least. And thank you so much to you for listening. (laughs) And we'll see you in the great indoors. I'll start then. And then yeah. she can come in. She, I'll start. She'll come in, can disagree have... with me, and then claim the victory. Yeah. You know how it goes. Yeah, I guess. <laughs>